0: Welcome to The Dish, a podcast about 90s action movies where we review them and compare them to food hosted by a couple of guys who don't know much about movies or food culture. I'm Zach and I am Mitch. How are you doing, Mitch?
1: I'm good, man. Feeling welcome.
0: Yeah, it uh, it feels good to be back in the pod seat. It's been a couple of weeks. This pod seat gets cold too often we're going to end up having
1: a mountain of work ahead of us if we don't keep up with our like set release schedule
0: slash recording schedule slash editing schedule. Yeah, but the to-do bin is a mountain, and the done bin is very, very small.
1: Yes. I think we've got two more in the pipe. No, we have one more in the pipe. It comes out next Wednesday that's clear and present danger, and then we'll have two weeks until time cop. You know what that means, buddy? I get my ass in gear and finish that edit. Yeah, man. Or turn it over to me and, and I'll work my magic <laughs> or anti-magic.
0: Yeah, we got, we got a lot of work to do. The, uh, that two-week schedule is starting to kick our ass. Yeah. Is um, Is this our first time recording since we've gone live?
1: I believe it is. Yeah, because I remember when we recorded The Mummy with Sarah uh, telling her like, yeah, we're going live tonight. And she was like, what? I was like, (laughs) not this, not this. We're going to edit it. But our first two episodes will come out and it actually went out like the next,
0: that following Wednesday. But so if you're listening to this now, this means we recorded about maybe a month and a half before you're listening to it. But this has been a long journey for us. The first podcast we recorded was back in maybe June I think it was even earlier than that. May have been May. And here we are over half a year later with six episodes under our belt. Yeah, so
1: (laughs) it's actually worse than that because I went with Katie to her work conference in Winston-Salem when we were working on episode two, and her conference was in May. Wow. So we had actually recorded two episodes at that point, which means and they weren't that close together either. So I think we actually started like last spring or this past
0: spring. Man, well, with a two week schedule, there's 54 weeks in a year. We're supposed to get 26. Ep- if we stick to this schedule, we're going to get 26 episodes out in 2022. I'm down and to we, do that. In this whole year, we've had what? Six? This is number seven. We so, had about yeah. three quarters of the year, essentially. Yeah. And then between like a month and a half, two months with my surgery, and then I sounded all nasally and I could, it would sound like crap recording.
1: That and the learning curve with like figuring out what the fuck we're doing and yeah. how to edit and everything
0: normalizing that for a year, that's like, what, 10, 12 podcasts? we got to basically double our efficiency. Yeah. Record every two weeks,
1: release every two weeks, and that gives us two weeks to edit each episode, worst case, which I think is i think it's doable. It's doable, but it feels like it's a breakneck speed. Here's why it's doable, Zach, because we are changing our format a bit. I think the uh, scene-by-scene mm. format we've been doing can get a little stale. This was Zach's observation, and
0: I agree with you. Yeah, I'm excited to look at movies from a little bit of a higher level perspective. And I think it'll open Zoom the door. Out just a hair. Yeah, I think it'll open the door for more interesting conversation about the movie and our observations and comparisons and actual reviewing rather than kind of strictly by the book, this happened and this happened, yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. It's also hoping we're, it's going to not only make editing a little easier, but also make listening a little easier because it might shorten up the podcast and it'll, it'll take a lot of yeah. pod content away from recap and a lot of pod content towards review and discussion, which I yeah. think is the idea behind the And dish. that's where we have fun That's too. the inspiration of the dish anyways. It is. We're actually just dishing about the, about the movie. Yeah,
1: You're like what the fuck was he thinking? Right. As an example.
0: <laughs> I thought you were talking about yourself. Yeah, <laughs> was what like, was I thinking? That's kind of harsh.
1: Man, I'm enjoying this beer again. So Zach here, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, he does a bit of homebrew, and uh, he recently brought us a peppermint stout? Peppermint chocolate stout. Yeah, peppermint chocolate stout. He's calling it Bad Santa, and it is fucking good, man. It's like peppermint in front. It's kind of malty and chocolatey, and then it finishes with bitter hops, which is, it doesn't sound like it would be good, but unlike most dark beers, or the really, uh, scrumptious dark beers that you drink in the wintertime scrumptious yeah this is pretty (laughs) scrumptious but i feel like most of them you you get through one of them and you're like i don't want any more of that because it's just so much but the bitterness kind of resets your palate and lets you keep on drinking it i really like it man i am tickled get going dude that
0: you guys dig it yeah and i'm happy to have been a part of your most recent batch yeah. Mitch and I just wrapped up and packaged the last batch I made. It's, it won't be ready for another couple of weeks, but it's supposed to be a chocolate milk stout. So really sweet. Ooh. Got a pound of lactose in the whole batch.
1: <laughs> Great for those of you who are lactose intolerant. Nice and
0: creamy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll uh, it'll be a nice colon cleanse for our lactose intolerant viewers. No doubt. Shoot us an email at dishingthroughdecades at gmail.com if you want some chocolate milk beer.
1: Yeah, we'll send you one. It smelled like a fucking chocolate factory, by the way, when we were making it. It smelled so good. I will say I have yet to feel a buzz from this beer. Do you know what
0: the alcohol alcohol content is? You have yet to feel a buzz? I mean,
1: I'm only like two-thirds of the way through it. but
0: It's about um, 8%. Really? Yeah. Since This is a Christmas beer. It's kind of reminiscent of, what do you think of Christmas? One of the things you think of is Santa Claus, right? But I figured the hoppiness kind of turned it into like a little bit of a spicy twist On it. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything but Billy Bob Thornton and Bad Santa. I love that movie. Kind of a bad boy in that movie, right? Uh Speaking of bad boys, that's the topic of today's dish. It sure is, Zach. We are going to be
1: bringing you guys Bad Boys, a movie from 1995, directed by Michael Bay. His directorial debut, in fact, starring Will Smith. And fuck is the other guy's name? Martin Lawrence. Will Smith and Martin Lawrence.
0: I enjoyed the intro. There, it's uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are like driving on the road. Will Smith is whipping around some like nice, some supercar. It's a Porsche. It Looks kind of like a Porsche. Okay.
1: It's a 911 Turbo. Okay. Probably one of the fastest production cars of the time.
0: I think Will Smith said exactly that. He said, "This is the fastest production." Okay, he car probably you could Possibly buy. Yeah. And they're kind of, like, shooting the shit. Uh, Martin Lawrence is, like, Please, spilling fries, and Will, Will Smith is like at him. But he,
1: he is really eating a, a big fast food meal I'm very messily in means. the you passenger seat together, of a car that
0: costs more now. than most people's houses. So I kind of get Will Smith's attitude here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> if he pulled over, like, a, a mom getting ready to scold the kid and tell him to walk to school. Yeah. So, yeah, he pulls over, and I think he's getting ready to, like, castigate him for spilling fries in his car that's worth more than people's houses probably worth more than his house martin lawrence's house
1: oh yeah (laughs) i mean we get pretty early on that they're partners but
0: they live very different lives yeah it seemed like will smith's apartment condo penthouse whatever you call it was way more expensive than martin lawrence's house i think that will smith is a trust fund kid really look man
1: i ain't got no trust fund okay see for me no job no check because they're cops and Martin Lawrence is a family man. He's got like two kids and a wife. They live in a modest house. And Will Smith is just a bachelor who seems to have money, lots of money. He's just a cop because he wants to be a cop. So yeah, they're, they're driving along and they pull over.
0: Yeah. And they start to get carjacked while, they, while they're pulled over. Somebody pulls up behind them. I didn't know if they were related to further plot developments, but it's just kind of like a random intro where, like, random people carjack them.
1: They randomly get carjacked because they're driving around in a nice car. Yeah. Conveniently.
0: I think it was Martin Lawrence that, like, somehow subdues them and turns the guns on them, or turn, they both act at the same time Martin Lawrence and Will Smith.
1: Well, they do this thing throughout the whole movie, they're always bickering, constantly bickering and arguing, and there's many times throughout the movie where they use this to their advantage, so I guess it's just the way they are, I guess they're just always bickering, I found it kind of annoying personally, but like, they're getting this big argument about how he he's spilling food in the Porsche and Will Smith isn't having it, and does, you don't respect my shit and all this. All this time, they're making a scene while there are guns drawn on them by these carjackers, and they use that to their advantage in that they've distracted the assailants. You know, classic misdirection, yeah. And then they both, you know, they get the upper hand, and you know, you just pull over a couple of cops, you assholes. Yeah,
0: it's. I feel like that's a pretty common buddy cop movie trope. Yeah, it's like they're kind of like bickering wedded partners. They really and are. people get fed up with like watching it and they let their guard down and that's when they like strike like a cobra. Shut up, it's classic misdirection. But yeah, so they subdue these carjackers and immediately goes to intro credits, which like, did this seem way off tone? Absolutely. It's like the most epic music you can imagine yeah. for
1: 95. <laughs> and it's a whole bunch of like panoramic shots of Miami. It gives the feeling of a movie where like this is a saving the world level of, of epicness that we're getting in the intro. And yeah. I, I remember thinking like, isn't this movie just about like two cops?
0: Well, it was also like, it would, I guess, seem more on brand, on tone if that music in the intro followed some like unbelievably high stakes, intense intro, which, oh yeah, yeah they got carjacked at gunpoint, but you never got the sense they were in real danger. And then like they got out of it in the intro credits. It was just like the most intense high wire music and it it just felt way off it felt like armageddon
1: level, yeah intense and i think what we need like leading into that like let that music continue into someone planting a bomb in a stadium or something but instead what we get is the antagonists are riding along in a van we know they're bad because they're all a little greasy they look a little you know (laughs) roguish and there's a greasy dude dressed up as a cop in the back of it The baddie, I guess, because he has an accent, shoots him out of the back of the van. And that's their, like, distraction. Shut up. It's classic misdirection. To get onto their evil plot, which is to steal a whole shit ton of heroin.
0: I literally thought the bad guy was Woody Harrelson at first. He's a peculiar man. might even say he has principles. Did you? Yeah, I really did. He's got a very strong
1: forehead in that way. The temple bones that you can see. It looked like he had, like... Muscles in his face, like <laughs> giant muscles in his face. Woody Harrelson does have a pretty muscular face. <laughs> that grin could crack an almond, <laughs> or something. That's,
0: that's uh, Dennis Quaid. He really has the uh, like catcher's mitt face. Yeah, you got to condition that leather, Zach. Oh yeah, you got to use the leather oil. Yeah, he uh, did not. I don't think it was clear at first what they were doing. It. I thought they were breaking into like a power plant. These bad guys. It was just kind of an industrial site. And it felt very much like The Rock. Totally. I had the exact same thought. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're like walking
1: through in what I presume is underground. They're like breaking into a power box. Army crawling through tunnels yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Lighting were, was the exact same. They are kitted the fuck out above SWAT team level amounts of gear going into this.
0: Right when you see all the gear is when it says directed by Michael Bay. Right? <laughs> yeah. I actually have right here. Real The Rock vibes. What do you see? We cut the chit chat a-hole. Nice. Did you notice the little sled they used to actually transport the heroin? I saw that and immediately thought it's just like the Heim cop sled. Was it? I mean, no, it's very different.
1: Sled as a ma- as a mechanism, yeah. Rocket they rocket sledded these drugs through a very convenient <laughs> tube that goes from like the vault level of this place all the way to the roof. Cuz they come in through the roof, right? It's <laughs> kind of a fun scene. The music is pretty intense and they're like fighting against the clocks. I think they knocked out a security guard. Throughout this whole movie, they fit in every single thing that you expect from an action movie every chance they get. They drug the security guard with like a needle to the neck with sedative or whatever. Oh, yeah. And they have like MS paint schematics of the building that they're using to get in. And they have a fucking rocket sled to take the to take all the drugs from the, the lockup all the way to the roof and get it
0: out. And they only have like six minutes to get in and out. It's an unexplained heist. So after they escape with these white bags full of dope, we get some exposition, I guess, where Martin Lawrence, who's playing Marcus, is having breakfast with his family, his wife and a couple of kids. Enrolls Uncle Mike, Will Smith, who's kind of like- The cool uncle. The cool uncle, uncle. not related by blood, but he's like the bachelor who's also Marcus's buddy. And they get a quick call from uh, the police captain who's like, you need to come into the station right now. And it turns out that the industrial building that they were kind of vaguely showing us that they were stealing from was the police headquarters. Right. The heroin that was stolen was from a drug bust that they stole out of like evidence lockers or whatever, which like...
1: Normally would not be a big deal, but it's... What would be a big deal? Like stealing heroin, but it's the quantity that's the issue. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And also from a police station.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess you don't expect it right under your nose, right? So I guess they did a big drug bust with some huge drug lord because they steal like a hundred million dollars worth of heroin from this lockup.
0: That was the plot of Bad Bo- the original Bad Boys uh, Bad Boy, was it? Yes. Wait, really? It was just Will Smith. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fuck with <what> you. Think. <laughs> there was an original Bad Boys movie, and uh, I think it was like 1983 with um, Dustin Hoffman. Oh movie? really? Sean Penn. Sorry. Oh. I wonder if it was the same basic plot. No, it is not. okay. Teen delinquent Mick O'Brien is sent to juvenile hall after unintentionally killing the younger sibling of a rival gang leader. So they show up at the precinct. We meet the police chief, who is the same guy from The Matrix who played Cypher.
0: Oh. Did you notice that? His voice was really familiar, but his face wasn't that familiar. Yeah, it's because he was young and he still had hair. I don't know. I just went dead. You
1: know, he's your generic, angry police chief. And he's going on about how we have to pursue whatever leads we have.
0: we got nothing. What's the matter with you? We've got nothing.
1: Uh, The only one that we have, though, is who installed this ventilation pipe for the vault or whatever. And so they've got like three days or something to figure it out. I I think he says they've got 72 hours to figure it out before the feds come in and take over the investigation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the blonde lady who showed up several times and just like... Tried Very
0: to, much throwaway character, but yes. Yeah,
1: she just keeps showing
0: up and like threatening them in some way or another. She was introduced shoulder as ass. like Captain So-and-so from Internal Affairs. Like She shows up like two or three times in the movie and is just like, boy, you guys better hurry up because uh, they're going to be on our ass if you're not. That It's not raising the stakes Yeah, at there's all. no pressure. The one reason she was notable to me is she had one of the worst 90s haircuts I've ever seen. And she had shoulder pads.
1: She had like the like formal, like the business attire oh, jacket with that. the big shoulder pads. The first scene she was in. Gosh. Her hair is like
0: Nancy if, Grace grew a mullet.
1: Yeah. It looked like <laughs> if Medusa had uh, worms instead of snakes for hair. It's not, and, it's not a good And guess. it was a mullet. It was a mullet, yeah. <laughs> so they're going to pursue some leads. The only one they have is this. One about the ventilation company that installed it or whatever. So they go break into someone's house.
0: It's the AC contractor.
1: Yeah, the AC contractor. They break into his house and they find a the dead guy. So they've got no leads. And this is throughout the movie. Martin Lawrence's character is, I guess, supposed to be like a comic relief. Uh-huh. Like his, he's constantly just blabbering, uh-huh. kind of like I do. He's all, he's all squicked out about the dead body. You know, he's he's not trying to deal with a homicide case. He's a narcotics cop. The thing about his comedy is that I, can, I could not remember a single thing he says. Because he says so much in so little time, but he's also saying nothing.
0: I liked his performance in this scene.
1: I did too. I liked his performance throughout most of it, but
0: it's like it just couldn't be logged into my memory banks. A few of them actually stood out like when they quote-unquote broke in, which, to be fair, they did. Oh, oh, oh. I tripped. The handle just opened? Right after I tripped, it just opened. Because they want us to come in. They were like announcing their presence. He was making a joke about like, um, we got we to gotta say some white people shit, act like we're the neighbors. Oh, yeah. He's like, do you have any, uh, we're looking to borrow some brown sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was pretty good. I thought his like, his like little subtle gagging was kind of good. He played that kind of well, I think. I'll give you that, yeah. But it was surprisingly gruesome. My view of this movie was a little bit
1: more playful and less man's throat flayed open on a desk.
0: Yes, exactly. Not in a bad way. I'm just like, this is darker than I remembered it being.
1: That was one of the things that they did with this movie is that they, they kept bouncing back and forth between like super playful and lighthearted and then like, oh, but shit's down to business now. Many times it just kind of seemed like a harsh transition. Mm-hmm. You're left in the fun of one scene and the next scene is like, oh, no, we got to get be serious again. It's like, wait, I, I'm not ready to be serious again.
0: I don't know. I, I disagree. I think that's kind of a common thing in buddy cop movies where there's like the comic relief of the two cops having their like differences or whatever. But then it, there's usually a actual serious story progressing case they're working on that requires their attention and, and they're being actually tuned in and being serious. So what I'm getting is that as this is probably the first buddy cop movie that I've watched as an adult, maybe it's just
1: not the genre for me.
0: Well... I'll also temper what I just said with, I don't think it was done well. (laughs) Michael Bay is kind of a bit of a running gag. Yeah. Like it's almost a pejorative to be like, oh, like directed by Michael Bay when you see an explosion. Right. And this is his
1: first movie. And it is so present in this movie.
0: So like, I don't think you're wrong, but I think that's kind of like a bit of a overarching tone in buddy cop movies. I got
1: you. Is, Is that back and forth? Between frivolity and severity. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, they don't find any leads at this place with the dude with his throat cut. So, Lowry, Will Smith's character, Mike Lowry, he's got a contact at a gym who is a working girl who I guess has her ear to the ground more or less because she meets some pretty powerful people, especially those who are newly rich. He asks her, like, Customers? Listen, I'm, I'm not asking you to get in any wild shit. You know, just call me if you hear something.
0: I think I will call you.
1: Mm-hmm. Conveniently, her her madam sends her out that night to some dude who's like been chomping at the bit to get with some girls. And she brings her buddy, Julie, her friend Julie with her. And when she gets there, he's got a big old brick of the same stolen dope that we saw in the, in the heist scene in the beginning.
0: Of course. He's like the biggest fuck boy ever. The, that's the vibe I got. He's a, yeah, he's a real piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, would not want to be in that
1: man's presence. So the dude that, that they go to see, this client, his name is Eddie. And it's revealed here that he, he's an ex-cop. In the beginning, when they first go to the police precinct, they're all like, it's a mole. That's the only way that this could happen. We find out it's this guy. While he's with Max and her friend there, our leather-faced uh, big bad shows up. And it's pretty pissed off because he stole the dope from their like
0: heist. He stole the stolen dope. Also, he thinks that this girl, Max, might be like talking to cops. Good intuition there. And he shoots her. Yeah, he shoots her and he
1: shoots Eddie too, doesn't he? It's It should be mentioned that Julie, her friend, went up to use the bathroom when, all, when these baddies came in and started popping shots. And so she witnesses the whole thing. They see her up in the balcony and they chase her under the roof. She ends
0: up jumping off the roof into a pool and gets away. She, like, climbs out of a window and then scrambles onto the roof. This is... We've reviewed... Seven. This is our seventh pod. So seventh pod. We have had three chase scenes on roofs, I think, so far. We have. What the fuck? I, is there something about 90s action movies and roof chases? I mean, the roof is where you want to be, dude. <laughs> the roof is on fire. <laughs> like, the roof is literally, like, the worst place. There's no escape. There's nowhere to jump. go. Yeah. Like, you're going to get cornered. I don't know why. Maybe it's easy to shoot on a roof. We watched the movie... A nineties movie last night where there's a roof chase. Yeah. You you're not so bad right. boy, it's a different movie, unrelated to the pod. Completely unrelated.
1: Movie. It was uh So I married an axe murderer with Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah. And it, in the in the ultimate scene of the movie, they end up on the roof. It's a big conflict on the roof, and Zach and I both turned to each other and we were just like,
0: nineties trope. <laughs> it was so far we have patriot games bad boys and then there was another one but i'm i'm blanking on it, i think
1: it's one of the ones we've reviewed
0: was it um clear and present, clear and present danger? danger
1: well i don't think we counted clear and present danger but clear and present danger ended up on a roof at the end right whenever he jumped onto the helicopter i don't yeah, think we even counted on that one
0: wow our hit rate with roof chases is like nearly 100 percent.
1: yeah it was time cop
0: you're right it was time cop wow Four movies. Four out of the Four seven, out of seven. That we reviewed roof have roof chases.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what what's, what is with that. It's very, I don't know. It's very weird. <laughs> I know. So she jumps off the roof. The only escape from a roof is to jump off of it. Thankfully, there's a swimming pool below, even though it's like six stories. Hell of a jump she makes. She gets away. She pretty much immediately calls up the Miami PD, asking for Mike Lowry because she knew from Max that Mike Lowry was someone that could be trusted. And that's the only person that she wants to talk to. It's the only person that she will talk to. When this happens, Marcus, Mike Lowry's partner, he's the only one at the precinct. And so when the phone call comes in, she's looking for Mike Lowry. And the chief is like...
0: Talk to her now. If you don't talk to her now, she's going to walk. Captain, I can't be no Mike, man. Just talk to her now. She's going to walk out. This is our witness. Hello?
1: It's Mike Lowry. He doesn't talk that way. Talk like him, like him. And so... Marcus proceeds to go and impersonate Mike Lowry to Julie, this
0: witness of these crimes. To reacquaint our viewers, Martin Lawrence's character's name is Marcus. Will Smith's character's name is Mike, Mike Lowry. Marcus just had to pretend to be Mike on the phone because that's who Julie trusted and said, I will only talk to Mike. Police chief sends Marcus to Julie's place. Who Julie is like the sole witness to this heinous crime that, that happened, the shooting at the at the Fuckboy Mansion. At Fuckboy Mansion. But all they really care about is the dope. And so this is their only lead into that as well. Right. So Marcus goes to visit her under the pretense that he is actually Mike. He goes there. Oh. She
1: freaks out at first because Julie's like you don't look like the description that I had of Mike Lowry and she she tries to hit him with a baseball bat and stuff. And he's like, all right, fine. I'll just leave. Oh, I forgot. The bad guys probably know where you live, which means
0: they're coming for your ass. Good luck.
1: And then she lets him stay, and then the bad guys show up and shoot up her apartment. They get out by the skin of their teeth.
0: My question is, how did they know where she lived? Police only knew where she lived because she called and said, find me at this address. Because they killed the madam. So you think they can, like tortured her and extracted information or whatever.
1: I've got plans with Julie. She's your roommate, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Which Did you notice that one of these bad guys that's coming to shoot the place up looks just like Pedro Pascal? Oh,
1: yeah. The dude with the mustache. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. There is one of the, like, second-tier henchmen. I guess he's first-tier henchman. Um, he does indeed look like Pedro Pascal. Can but we yeah. talk
0: about henchmen tier list real quick? Sure, man. Who's, like, S-tier henchman?
1: S tier being the highest tier, yeah. In this particular movie, or in general?
0: Well, well, okay. Do you think there is an S tier henchman in this movie?
1: I think an S tier henchman would be like the the one dude who's always with the bad guy, like mustachioed man in *Clear and Present Danger*. Would oh, be, he is an S tier henchman. Yeah, good call. Yeah.
0: In this movie, I'd say there's no S tier henchman. No.
1: In fact, they do not do a good job of making the bad guy present in the movie, really at all. I feel like. Yeah. It's the henchmen are, are doing more shit than the, than the actual bad guy is in this movie. They just randomly show up and start shooting people yeah. up or whatever. And we never get any information about the bad guy other than like, he stole this dope and wants to make a bunch of money with it.
0: Yeah. We know nothing about him. God, that's such a good call that that mustachio guy from Clear and Present Danger is an S tier henchman. He's, his situational awareness alone yeah. gives him that rank. <laughs> he had two pivotal moments in that movie with like the motorcycle thing where yep. he like took over and then and shooting the, up the, 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 the room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. Legendary henchmen,
1: truly. Should we make a uh, henchman tier list? Yeah, a henchman tier. <laughs> no. Yeah, I guess uh <laughs> we need some sort of metric with which to measure
0: henchmen. Since we're doing action movies, there are always henchmen. Maybe we should do that at the end of each season. Is like have a henchman tier list. Henchman tier list recap. Yeah, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I think we've already got a big uh, insight into who the S tier one will be. But yeah, uh, only one per tier. Oh, no, that's fair. We we should be able to put multiple per tier, but maybe there's like... Maybe we can't... can't, Grand champion henchmen. Yeah, we
1: crown one of them as the best henchmen of the season. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because this movie is all like tier two henchmen. None of them give the bad guy counsel. I think the only reason that we know that they're in it is for some money with this big old drug deal they're trying to make. They're just dudes with guns who do the bad guy's bidding. And we never actually know what the bad guy's bidding is except for like one or two times.
0: They give chase or... Or Fly games. into a room and start spraying yeah. machine guns everywhere, or whatever, like they do here in this scene. They show up at Julie's apartment. They shoot up the place. Yeah, Marcus
1: playing Mike and Julie escape, but only barely in his like you know family wagon, his Volvo yeah. <laughs> or something. And the bad guys get the the plates of his vehicle, his personal vehicle, which right. to me was a huge red flag because one of the issues I have with this with the next little bit here is that. Marcus takes Julie to his partner, Mike Lowry's apartment, posing as Mike Lowry, and proceeds to be like, you know, you, you're not willing to go in protective custody, so you can stay here with me. Yeah, my, my, my place. My place is... No. Hey. I, 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 right. Right. My, yeah, nah, my place... Yeah, my place is shit. Pretends to be Mike Lowry. He keeps up the, the front.
0: Yeah, he basically drops her off. He drops her off there and yeah. then goes home. Which I love... Like, this is another scene that you might have thought he was, like, blabbering or whatever. But I love the whole scene where he's like, I'm just going to walk and turn on my light. And then he, like, starts tripping over stuff. like, oh, I totally knew that was there. I just tripped to my own feet. Like, where is that? And, like, <laughs> yeah. trying to talk his way through why he doesn't know where anything is in the place that's supposed to be his apartment.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, I have go to Lowry's pad, which is nice. Martin Lawrence is insufferable. <laughs> Oh
0: God, I thought this was so much fun. <laughs> I guess, we, I don't know. Maybe I was just in a bad oh, mood when I watched this head. movie. And then the, actually the voicemail comes on, which is like some girl with a sultry voice that's like looking for a booty call. And he's like trying to muffle that up as she's like trying to get yeah. comfortable uh, and everything.
1: They do all of the little embarrassing moments that they can, <laughs> any chance they get. He drops her off there, makes her comfortable. He gives the concierge instructions of what to do and who to call if anything goes down. And then the next morning... Lowry, the real Lowry. Real Mike. Real Mike meets up with, I keep Marcus. Marcus. Mike Lowry, Martin Lawrence, Marcus, whatever. There's too many.
0: We can call him Eminem if you want.
1: Uh, <laughs> Eminem as, as the Mike,
0: Mike, Mike and, and Marcus. Mar- Mike and Marcus, yeah. Just use M for uh, a mind palace of Mike and Marcus. Yeah, okay. So they meet up the next day, M. Mike and Marcus, they meet up at, well, I don't know if this is the precinct, but they meet the police chief who's shooting basketball on a a basketball court. I feel like their police building must have a lot of facility
1: going on. It always felt like some big industrial building.
0: Yeah. In this basketball court, the chief is, of course, playing the tropey, angsty chief and just kind of yelling at them and telling them to do shit. Hey you want me to yell at you? Because I can do that. Missing a bunch of basketball shots. I was expecting him at any point to just yell out, white chocolate, like while he heaved oh <laughs> a God. shot and clanged off the backboard. The point of the scene is this like switcheroo where Marcus has pretended to be Mike for the sake of Julie being comfortable is exhausting for him because he has a wife and children that this lifestyle does not suit, let alone like having to basically sleep over at a partner's place and hang out with his girl. He's like, I got to get out, like... Real Mike, you take over, like I'm switching. The chief is like, No 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 no. You are Mike Lowry, you be him, that's what you are, you're him, yeah. you're him, I don't wanna hear it. You're him, and you, you, you're you, you be you, but not in front of her. You're him, you're you. But and then like, he and then he bricks a shot. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know, man. Um, is first of all, I don't see why they couldn't be like, okay, like we got to be honest. We're going to come clean. Yeah. This is actually Mike. Right. We were running short. Mike wasn't around. We don't know where he was. We need to like, get to you to make sure you were safe. I don't know why they had to play this game. Like, that, that's. The, I'll just
1: tell you right now. That's, this is the biggest problem I have with the movie is that it's all based on a lie. And for whatever reason, they don't choose to change it until way later. They just keep on going with it. I think it was just to let Mar- Martin Lawrence act like some Will Smith-esque character Yeah. Well, at least as far as their acting characters are concerned, like Marcus is a, a family guy. He's, you know, he's goofy and he's weird. And Will Smith's character, Mike Lowry is like, you know, a bachelor, a playa. And I guess it was just they wanted to find a way to perpetuate Martin Lawrence and his comedy in inhabiting those shoes for as long as they could and and just kind of like relishing in that awkwardness.
0: Yeah, but like th- there could have been more reason behind it, you know, like, because yeah. she was the witness, but it wasn't like she was on the verge of a mental break and they needed her to feel comfortable with not ruining who she was like being protected by. Yeah, They just needed to protect her. They weren't like trying to extract information from her or whatever. If they switched the story up a little bit, yeah. then that could have been yeah. solved.
1: Here's how you do it. Maybe it was a friend of Mike's who was the person who called Max in the first place, did it for Mike on Mike's behalf, to get information, and then that friend is the one that Max trusts, and that friend gets killed. He's dead. And at that point, you have to impersonate him in order to get Julia to trust you. It's not like, oh, he's just not here right now. No, he, he's fucking dead. So there's no way that you can't impersonate him to get her trust. Like you have to do it. Yeah. Why not just do something like that?
0: I mean, I don't know. It's a plot hole, but I don't see it as like a massive gaping issue that, that re- sours the movie for me. It's gaping for me, dude. Oh, no. Consider it gaped. <laughs> you can't unsee gaped. No.
1: <laughs> Interestingly, most of the people who were uh, involved with the production of this movie hated the script. Really? Including the director, including Michael Bay. He hated it from the start. And he brought in a couple of writers to do a rewrite. And I don't think they improved it that much. But um, he implored Lawrence and Smith both to improvise like throughout the movie in trying to kind of like let their comedic prowess fix some of the shittiness of the script. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that I feel like in 1995 probably came across a lot better than it did to me now in 2021.
0: Yeah. There's a number of kind of misogynistic and homophobic jokes, at least one homophobic joke throughout that like, yeah, just reeks of nineties insensitivity.
1: Indeed. So they lie to Martin Lawrence's wife. <laughs> That's the next step here. You got to lie to the wife. We're going to let actual Lowry watch Marcus's kids and, you know, stay with the wife, make sure she's safe and all that. The
0: reason being is because, as you mentioned earlier, he kind of flashed his ass as he was driving away and they maybe saw his license plate. Yeah. So they want like some kind of protection for Marcus's family.
1: Yeah, that's kind of, that was kind of where um, I was kind of screaming in my head watching it. I meant to touch back on this when we were talking about that, but like, I guess in 95 it wouldn't have been as easy to find someone's information, but... I would have been shitting my pants knowing that these murderers had gotten my license plate and that they were coming for my family like immediately. I would I would have them out of the fucking house like that night. I'm I'm not I'm not fucking with that. Yeah. And yet he's like kind of nonchalant about getting back to his house and then he's willing to let his partner stay there. I get it he's like a really great friend of yours who you trust entirely but I would just not have him staying at the house. Get him out of there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree. Keep him at the precinct or somewhere else that's not targeted, yeah. basically.
1: So they lie to the wife. They say that Marcus has got to go to Cleveland, when in reality, he's got to go stay at, at Lowry's pad with Julie.
0: From Wait, what's the lie they tell the wife? I don't remember them telling a big lie to the wife.
1: Oh, nothing. Just uh, the whole premise
0: of this movie. Well, like, <laughs> what do they tell him Marcus was doing? Cleveland.
1: I have never... But- Hey look, woman, okay? Now Adam told you, okay? It's a federal
0: subpoena. Oh that's right. Cleveland. Okay. They they tell her Cleveland. Yeah, okay. I just don't see why they couldn't tell her the truth. I don't either. That's that's the other place where this really makes no fucking sense to me. The problem with their marriage was like he doesn't spend enough time with her, but if like his boss is like, Look, I haven't given him a choice, I told him he has to do this or else he's fired. Right and he has to do this thing. Yeah. It would have put her on edge and maybe that was the calculation but like run it by Marcus.
1: My, my only thought into this is that Marcus is missing out on his quality time. We know this from the beginning of the movie. He's he's his, not getting any. His
0: bounce wow, wow quality time.
1: Yes. Bounch go wow, wow. His quality time with his wife. He's missing out on his quality time and I think that he's so terrified of the prospect of not getting any quality time in the near future that he's sure as hell not going to tell his wife that he's got to go stay with some young hot material witness at Mike Lowry's bachelor pad for four days (laughs) then that's the only thing that makes sense because if you marry a person you should be able to tell them fucking everything right why why would he not be able to tell her that like listen babe I'm really sorry there's a material witness that will only trust me because I got into this shitty situation, but I'm in it now. I've got to do this. I'll be there for four days. I'll touch base with you every day at this time. Like, it's so easy to make this work.
0: Should I, should I role play back? Sure. Well, you're just never here. It's just me and the kids. And you're always in bed after I'm asleep. You get up before I'm awake. It feels like all you want is just sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> you just want sexy times. Just, just some quality. quality time is what I need, babe. Don't babe me. <laughs>
1: I promise after this, I'll take some time off and we'll go on a vacation.
0: As long as it's somewhere in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point is, this is a time bomb
1: that they don't have to set. They could just, you know, diffuse it right here before it's an issue. And they don't. They choose to lie instead. And I hate that. Man. We go to Lowry's pad and Julie's, I can already tell that things don't add, add up quite well. There's like a shrine to actual Mike Lowry there, like tons of pictures <laughs> of Will Smith like on on the walls and on shelves and everything and he she's like cuz i mean when i saw it you know i was like the whole wall i thought maybe there were you know pictures of your lover of who i thought that you know i thought that maybe you're gay
0: there's a sculpture of him made out of like spam and <laughs> And olives for eyes, and a <laughs> carrot for nose. It's got a hole in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow. Okay. I will say
1: this is one part here where Martin Lawrence really made me laugh because he he was like saying like some cheesy shit about how he's very into women and whatnot, and then he walks off and under his breath he's like, "Gay. Okay. I was. I'll change the drapes in this motherfucker." <laughs>
0: Yeah, this whole kind of very interstitial bit. It was just to kind of work up the very different uncomfortable lives that they're leading with Marcus being single and Mike being like a domesticated husband. Right. So there's this kind of montage. And it's up in the tension a bit between them. Yeah, that's a good point. So Mike is at Marcus's house and he's telling these kids these very inappropriate stories about like they rescued these hoes after they shot these dudes in the face. and the, But the kids are gobbling it up.
1: Yeah, I feel like Will Smith just falls right into the role with no problem, really. You know, he's he's enjoying himself, enjoying himself so much, in fact, that he trolls his partner, Marcus, because he's like, "Gotta call the wife." The scene was hilarious, and uh, you know, he picks up the phone, he calls Marcus's wife to say, like, check in on on her, and she's just like, "Okay, yeah, I'm good and all. I'll, I'll see you tonight at this time." And then she hangs up, and Mike just like draws it out, and he's like. Oh yeah, don't wait up. It's cool. We, we can pick up a movie.
0: It'll be good. And he's like, "And what what are you wearing?" <laughs> and at that point, Martin Lawrence is like about to pull his hair out. He like yanks the phone from from Mike. He clearly, just trying to get under his skin. And it's it's having like this very additive effect where Marcus is like, it's starting to really wear on him, and you can tell. Yeah, he,
1: he planted the seed here of of
0: this paranoia that that Marcus <laughs> um, really buys into. So after after that. Uh, scene where Mike is, like, goading Marcus with that phone call. Mike talks to, like, an admin assistant or whatever at the precinct to look into, like, the the fuckboy from Fuckboy Mansion because he was an ex-cop. so she wants to pull up his file. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. You're always excusing this pod, Mitch. Thank you. Perpetual excuse. So he's talking to this admin assistant who is, like, A a Marilyn Manson clone. Brian Hugh Warner, known professionally as Marilyn Manson, is an American singer, songwriter, actor, painter, and writer. His stage name was formed by combining and juxtaposing the names of two opposing American cultural icons. In Manson's case, actress Marilyn Monroe and cult leader Charles Manson. She looks just like her. She does. Even down to the beauty mark. And I think she's, like, not able to get in. I've tried three times. Yeah. I guess when they... um hire their admin since they're like do you have any celebrity lookalikes do you have breasts <laughs> what do you what do you what do you look for in a partner well everyone thinks you should look for humor but i prefer breast size <laughs> <laughs> this next scene when they
1: go to his house i have written down they both go to mike's pad it's a fun time <laughs>
0: Wait, Marcus <laughs> and Mike or what?
1: Marcus and Mike, they go to Mike's pad. <laughs> it's a fun time. Yeah. I like it. And and this is the point where uh, Julie meets Mike and there's
0: like the obvious sexual tension going on. Mike and Marcus both go to Mike's place. Julie is, of course, there because that's kind of like the safe house. It's a really fun scene because this is the first time Mike has been in his place since Julie, the witness, has been in there. And she's also been in there with her two dogs he keeps like referring to his place in i guess like the third person as someone who doesn't live there it's like oh man like uh it sucks that a dog pooped on your carpet and it's like oh is that a stain on your rug <laughs> <laughs> like if i lived here i'd be pissed <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> this was this was my, my favorite like comedic scene of the movie i think it it was pretty great will smith's passive aggressive nature towards yeah. his partner here
0: yeah and i think while like Will Smith, Mike, was like in the bathroom or something. And there's a knock at the door. And it's a female voice. And so, and looks like a call girl. She lets herself in and starts taking off her clothes. And like calling out for Mike, right? Yeah. And yeah. then so Marcus goes up. She's like, who the hell are you? And he like tries to get her to leave. But she's already like half naked at this point. Right. But he like shoves her outside half naked. And this is in full earshot of Julie, who still thinks, I think, Marcus is Mike. And so she's getting these crazy kind of like... Mixed messages throughout the whole movie, really. But this is maybe the strongest one. Marcus tells Mike that some girl, Yvette, came by. And this was one of the funnier scenes to me, too. That This exchange of, like, Marcus is like, who the hell was she? Mike says, she's a masseuse. Marcus is like, what? Mike goes, Yvette is a masseuse. Hmm? (laughs) She massages shit. She told me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Julie's like, are there going to be any other hysterical half-naked women I should know about while I'm here and y'all are gone? Will Smith's like, vet was naked? Titties were out a little bit. You
0: threw vet out naked?
1: Right after this, Julie's like, we're going to some club, right? Because earlier, in an earlier scene, I believe, she had identified one of the baddies in some mugshots, And so they figure out, like, this dude... Operates out of this club called Club Hell. We're gonna go there and and you know, see if we can knock some heads and Bring them in and so she's like thinking that she's gonna go with them and they're like, uh, no, this is police business You're gonna stay here at the house. And so they go to this club
0: By the way, can I just say that this place looks fucking awesome? It looks like a really fun time. This giant like warehouse sized building, but it's like Greek architecture and there's was, like, awesome metal kind of gothic decor
1: everywhere. It's like in the movies where a cult operates out of a club. It's like that club. Uh, yeah. It was only a few steps away from being, like, a cyberpunk club. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. They show up at this place, and right before they do, for some reason, the bad guys have decided to bring a big van full of ether to <laughs> this place, to the club, like... <laughs> In a previous scene, we get the big leather faced bad guy like headbutting his chemist because they're having trouble cutting the heroin because of the environment or whatever, and they're using ether like super flammable ether in big keg-sized barrels with big red labels on them and they've decided for some reason to put like a dozen of these in an ice cream truck and park it out front of the club deal, okay you stay put anybody tells you to move don't i don't care what they say tell them you're making a delivery for mr fochey okay
0: you got it you got it frank frank uh... it's ether it'll explode you dope it's very important that they do this <laughs> what <laughs> That makes sense it's a mcguffin ice cream truck so yeah at some point marcus has gotta break the seal i don't know if he's even drinking but he, he needs to go pee and so he's uh, taking a leak at one of the urinals and uh it's one of those situations where my spidey senses were immediately tingling but marcus's weren't because it's a profile shot of him taking a leak you see that there are about 10 urinals and the guy comes up and takes a piss in the urinal right next to him. And there's not the little divide, the privacy dividers. Big red flag. Like, that's <laughs> that's that's urinal etiquette 101. It'd leave at least one urinal between the next guy peeing. Yeah, Marcus doesn't seem to realize the oddity of a guy coming up right next to him and peeing when there's, like, so much urinal real estate. Another guy comes in and he gets, like, attacked from both sides, basically. He gets like a bag thrown over his head. But somehow he's able to kind of fight them off. He kicks one guy and he's able to rip the bag off knocks one of the guys heads into the urinal which did you notice
1: the disgusting fucking water in the urinal
0: I figured it was someone that needed to see a urologist really <laughs> badly, or someone just took a shit like a really liquidy shit in the urinal. urinal
1: it was really gross it was really brown for for the as cool of a club as this was its bathrooms were disgusting
0: oh yeah the mirrors were like all fogged and dirty.
1: But at the same time,
0: like the one wall of the
1: bathroom, the one that like goes into it, I guess, was also the aquarium that you could see from the bar. Because you could see like Mike's at the bar, like tantalized by the girl up on the bar, like with her foot in his face. And you see past his vision through the aquarium. There's like a big aquarium right there in front of him. And you can see through it, Marcus getting his ass kicked in the bathroom. Like straight through. So I guess if you look through the aquarium while sitting at the bar, you can see into the men's
0: bathroom. It's supposed to make you want to go to the bathroom. You see water and you think, oh, I gotta go. Oh, bathroom. Oh, it's right by the aquarium. Just piss in the aquarium. And then it makes you want to drink more because then you've, you had no liquid left. So you go back to the bar and buy more drinks. Vicious cycle. The smartest decision this movie made. Designing the ultimate layout to (laughs) psychoanalyze their customers and make them drink more.
1: Subliminal messaging via water for beer sales. Yes. You're right. So um, Martin Lawrence gets thrown into the aquarium by one of the dudes that he's been having his ass handed to by. And he actually does get the upper hand. He does like some really clumsy fighting in this scene, but he, he ends up on top. And at the point that he gets thrown into the aquarium, Will Smith is like, oh, shit. My partner's getting his ass kicked and I'm sitting here (laughs) horny. And so he goes to help. Around the time that he does, Julie shows up. She's found a gun at Mike's place and I guess decided to take things into her own hands. Don't know how she got there, but she shows up at the bar and is just like walking around with a resting bitch face. And the... Big bad guy sees her from the same like VIP section where you can see out over the whole club. She sees him and just pulls out the gun from like 50 yards away. It's this little pistol. She pulls it out like she's going to fucking cap his ass and is about to take a shot when, when uh, the real Mike Lowry like steps in and, and like stops her. She fires off a shot into honestly what looked to me like the crowd, but they don't, they don't address that. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shit hits the fan everybody ducks down everybody's rushing out they're rushing out the bad guys are rushing after them they run out and decide to take the ice cream truck full of explosives
0: this looked like this is basically like the ice cream truck from um twisted metal from twisted metal yeah dude <laughs>
1: it just needs um fucking sweet tooth on the side of it
0: oh yeah good call i forgot about sweet tooth man and that like flaming bobblehead on top of it yeah it, the fire. Might as well have
1: had that with what's to come Because they take off in this explosive ice cream truck Marcus is driving Julie's standing up in between them Mike Lowry, Will Smith, is in the passenger seat Like, telling him to drive faster constantly and They're getting chased by two of the Tier 2 henchmen It's just bickering constantly Like, they're they're everyone's screaming the whole time Like, there's something about the action scenes in this movie That didn't feel right to me And I couldn't put my finger on it Did you get this at all?
0: Only for a couple. This one and others. Not really. Okay. There's something about the way they were like cut together or or something where
1: it's almost difficult to follow the the progression of them. Mm. It makes it not hard to watch but difficult to understand what exactly is going on. Is it the rapid cuts? I think it was the rapid cuts and like a lack of real continuity between the cuts.
0: I did notice a couple times where between cuts, for example, I don't think it's actually happened, but but like somebody gets into a car from one shot and then the next shot, the door starts to close. And it's like, whoa, wait, wait, he was already in the car before. I do remember a couple things that didn't quite line up from cut to cut.
1: A little bit of sloppy, sloppy execution. But anyway, they're they're on this chase. They're being chased by a muscle car with two baddies in it and this ice cream truck full of explosives. The, uh, The dudes in the muscle car start shooting at them and they're freaking out like, what do we do? So Will Smith is telling Marcus to drive faster, faster, and he ends up driving onto a, I guess, overpass or something that's under construction. And uh, he's like, we're running out of road, we're running out of road. Think of something. And so Will Smith starts chucking barrels out the back of the car and shooting at them, shooting the barrels. Of ether. Of ether, yeah. And this is where the Michael Bay-ness starts. This is like the first of like four times that the barrels are used in this movie. Oh, many, many times, yeah. So that he ends up blowing up the baddies' car right as they stop at the end of this road that's that's ending. And for whatever reason, I guess, Marcus, playing Mike, is pissed as shit, starts yelling at Julie about how like she's crazy, I guess because she came in with a gun to the club and, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty fair reason to be upset, but like she's going through some stuff. He effectively tells her off, and they're arguing in the street, and they just get seen by a news helicopter. Julie storms off, the real Mike Lowry comes over and comforts her end of scene
0: i liked marcus's gesturing to the helicopter like he was wildly gesturing like go away don't look at (laughs) us (laughs) right yeah get out of here this next scene was kind of weird because they didn't really explain what was going on it just seemed like they kind of like stood up kind of proverbially shook off the dust and then walked into some like middle eastern bodega yeah that was strange i guess she was insisting on getting shampoo julie was looking for shampoo and mike and marcus the the scene is kind of useless. Like the this is really weird to me. The, the store clerk sees that they have guns. Is maybe a little bit bigoted. Anyway, he pulls out like a gun from behind the counter. Freeze, mother bitches! Tells them to freeze. But this this whole scene really culminates in Will Smith pulling out both of his guns and pointing them at him. And it seems like that's the point of the scene because it's such like a thumbnailable screen grab for the thumbnail of the movie. It's like. <laughs> This is just for the trailer. Both <laughs> guns being pointed at the camera and him saying, like... You freeze, bitch. Oh, shit. I'm fucked. Now back up, put the gun down,
1: and give me a pack of tropical fruit licious. and some Skittles. That was that was improv by Will Smith, or at least it was his idea. Oh, it really? It was not in the original script. Oh, that's yeah, I guess the guy thought he was about to get robbed because two black guys came into his building or into his store, like... They, they weren't brandishing guns, but he noticed that they had guns on them. Yeah. But still, it's like, really, I didn't like it. I liked the humor, but I didn't like the pretense.
0: Yeah, it was just weird, cringy, and felt like... Isn't there some kind of, like, pathos in filmmaking that every shot and every scene should have, like, a purpose? Yes, I believe so. And I think you can make a pretty strong argument Michael Bay breaks that mold, but this scene is, like, especially egregious, egregious. to that. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point. If you go ball, just get it and let's go. Jojo. He is a chemist. It's entirely too much heroin and too much ether for just nobody to know nothing.
1: There really isn't. But at the same time, that's one of, like, if you look up fun facts about bad boys, all the sources talk about this scene. Oh, really? Yeah. Even the store clerk saying, like, freeze mother bitches... That was him, like, missaying motherfuckers.
0: Oh, that was an accident. It was an accident, yeah. Oh, my God, okay. So
1: I guess maybe that's part of the reason it was left in is because it was just kind of a fun time for everybody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of fun knowing about that.
1: After this, we're back at Lowry's pad with just Marcus and Julie. Marcus still playing the part of Mike Lowry. And this scene for me was a little bit, like, tone deaf because he had just chastised her less than an hour ago And she was, like, all put off about it. And now she's, like, hot and bothered in the bed about what had happened that night. She comes on to him, not exactly on the DL. Like, did you get that? Well, I'm not a comedian, but, you know. I don't mean, like, that kind of funny. I mean, like, funny. I have another theory here, too, though. So she comes on to him. Do you think that she was actually feeling that way or that she was testing him to see if he was actually Mike Lowry?
0: I think she had strong suspicions and probably felt like he was Marcus, the friend who was married and was just kind of playing games with him. I think she was just kind of fucking with him. I really hope that's the case because otherwise I just, I hated this scene. Yeah, I I thought she was fucking with him. Okay. I thought she was doing it totally on purpose and wasn't actually all hot and bothered. That was my interpretation, but it's very open.
1: Especially what happens like the next
0: day, that does make more sense.
1: I think that she, she's on their case. Like she, she's figuring it out, um, that it's not what it seems.
0: She makes all these references to like, um, to how like irresistible Marcus is. Yeah. Will Smith in this case, like nobody could keep their hands off Marcus. Any woman would be so lucky to be with him. And I think she knows that she's kind of goading, the real Marcus, because he's like, fuck, that's my wife. Like, Is, is my wife getting banged right now? <laughs> but
1: I think that's the reason why this didn't make sense to me is because she would have no way to know that Mike Lowry was actually staying with Marcus's wife. All she knows is that Marcus is not Mike Lowry, or she suspects it. She doesn't know that Mike's with Marcus's wife.
0: Yeah, maybe she thinks it's plausible, though. Maybe they just switched. I guess. But all this talk that she is giving Marcus about how attractive mike is and any woman would want to have their hands all over him he's like well fuck like maybe he's sleeping with my wife right now so he gets
1: he gets paranoid enough to call
0: wise idea to call what happens there nobody answers so
1: mike real mike lowry and marcus's wife are looking at photo albums of marcus at his house and like it's some embarrassing pictures right will smith is like oh this one i'm taking this one and putting it on the bulletin board at the office he like pulls one out of the out of the photo album right when the phone rings and like so it's the perfect line to happen for marcus to hear and then say oh fuck no you don't sleeping with my wife you asshole and so he like goes full bat shit and speeds over there
0: he goes to like stake out and peep on his own house. Yeah.
1: Which is funny because while he's going to break into his own house, two of the bad tier two henchmen are staking out
0: his house as well. So they're watching him like fumble through his yard. Like what the fuck is this guy doing at his own house?
1: This was pretty funny, I guess.
0: I, I love this part. He's like talking to himself the whole time, like, You're not gonna fuck my woman, yada, yada, yada. And, quality um, time, quality time. Yeah, I gotta get my quality time, damn it. And he like decides to try and peep in like the second floor window or something, puts too much weight on a, like a gutter or something, and everything just collapses. He falls down, and falls through. Just It's the most stereotypical fall. Falls
1: into a dumpster or four trash cans he falls into, and he's just covered in trash. Oh, yeah. And and it
0: makes enough noise that, like, both Mike and Marks' wife peek their heads out of the same window at the same time in, like, PJs. And at that point, Will Smith,
1: Mike Lowry, had actually noticed the car out front that had the baddies in it and called in back up to, to check it out. He was making sure that they weren't being cased. And so whenever someone apparently tries to break in, he's on alert and he comes out, guns drawn, and tackles Marcus into like a kiddie pool and they're fighting and all this. And he realizes who it is, doesn't shoot him. And he's like, what the fuck? Like, I'm obviously not sleeping with your wife, you idiot. We've been friends like forever. I've been your partner for six years. What the fuck is wrong with you? Go back to my house. And, and so he does. Uh, yeah, poor Marcus.
0: Now he is in a really tough spot. He hasn't gotten quality time.
1: Yeah. The good news, though, is that um, a couple more cops did roll up on the two baddies and arrested them. It allows the plot to progress because the next day, they're like bad copping one of these guys that they caught, and they get a name out of him of who the big bad is. His name is
0: Fouché. He's like, it's evil Woody Harrelson. Leather muscle face. Muscly, le- <laughs> muscly leather face. Boy, that's kind of a uh, tongue twister in of itself. Musly leather face.
1: They, they basically, like, leverage or they threaten one of their contacts.
0: Jojo. He is a chemist.
1: And they get the address of the chemist who's helping out Fouché. In doing so, they're able to follow the chemist to where Fouché is hiding out, and they're, like, scoping out the place. It's like a big boat in a harbor. While they're scoping out, Fouché is scoping them out, and then... Puts a tail on him. This is just not good police work. They go and they scope it out. They don't do anything except leave at that point. Julie's with them.
0: I don't remember this part.
1: So that's the thing. It's like a completely unnecessary. It, the only purpose of this scene is to make it to where Fouché can get the upper hand. It's just cat and mouse back and oh, okay. forth. They get the line on Fouché. Fouché gets the line on them. And then they go back to Lowry's pad. But I guess while they're on the way there, Marcus's kids are watching TV.
0: Oh, yeah. And they see the clip of him waving the helicopter off after the after the chase and blowing the bad guys up with the ether barrels. Mom! I thought Dad was in Cleveland. And Mom's like, well, you fucking gonna wish he was. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they go back to Lowry's pad and they're like, I guess suiting up for whatever operation they think they're gonna do. I think it was just another excuse to be at Mike's place. There was no real reason for them to be there other than for... Mike's wife to show up like breeze past the concierge and knock on the door and then Julie answers it and we get the immediate like eyebrow raise from the wife
0: can I help you yes I'm here to kill my
1: husband Marcus Burnett and that'd be the tall one or the short one the short
0: one thought
1: so shit ringing the oh bang um Teresa uh let me get your husband. Marcus, get over here. Hey, it's you. It's you, my wife. This was my second favorite, like, funny part, though, because. Uh, when,
0: will, when, when Mike comes out, he does the, <laughs> like, basically like, gasp and covers his mouth with both hands. You got a new hear little me, girlfriend? Oh, shit. Oh, oh <laughs> shit. What did I walk into? Yeah. Julie's walking out. This is one scene where I will give it to you that um, Martin Lawrence did the whole babbly thing. That didn't really work that well, in my opinion, at least not for my humor, to try to explain the situation to his I wife. I think if
1: you look at it from the perspective of a dude who like really sticks his foot in his mouth whenever he's like pissed off his wife, and there's kind of a like power play going on there where he has no power at all. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of get it, but I agree. Would that be called subplay then, in that case? Maybe. Subplay, yeah. <laughs> She's the dom. She has a very um, confident, no-frills... Sort of woman though Like She's like You might as well keep that wedding ring in your pocket As far as I'm concerned He sticks his foot in his mouth Tries to tell her That's a material witness In the end But she's, she's like Fuck this I'm out and, and storms off Finally the truth is out So Julie storms out And Lowry goes after her Marcus's wife storms out And Marcus goes after her And they both End up in the elevators Going down to the first floor Of, of Mike's uh, complex At the same time Like trying to get The, the respective woman to stay
0: And as they come into the lobby, who's waiting for them, Zach? Muscly Leatherface. Yeah, he sure is. Wait, Muscly Leatherface Woody Harrelson. Did you get video game vibes here? A little bit, yeah. I got extraordinary video game vibes because the camera angle was kind of like behind the elevators looking towards the lobby and the bad guys came in from the lobby. And so as Mike and Marcus and their crew are getting off the elevators. You see the bad guys kind of like filter in and they're immediately recognizable, but then they just stand there for like two seconds as they're coming off the elevator. And it felt like one of those video game things where like, it's a cutscene that you're ready to walk into, and you can just avoid it if you turn oh, yeah. around. <laughs> and they should just went back upstairs. <laughs> but uh, they continue to walk towards the lobby totally blind, and then the camera zooms way in on muscly leatherface Woody Harrelson. I, anyway, I started blasting. Bam! Wow. Yeah, they don't waste time. They, again, like these henchmen are good at one thing and one thing only, and it's just shooting indiscriminately. But unfortunately, when this all takes place, Julie is kind of walking ahead of the pack so she is between mike and marcus and the bad guys and she, she takes cover in the middle of a firefight the bad guys whisk her away
1: yeah they, they take her out and they jump in a bronco and they are out of there marcus gives his wife a gun and says like go upstairs and call the police and will smith runs out of the lobby after them on foot with his shirt open
0: important point right there
1: uh, Will Smith is basically running for this entire action sequence, a lot of it in slow motion with his shirt unbuttoned all the way. Yeah. Apparently, he didn't want to do the scene shirtless at all because Michael Bay wanted him to do it completely shirtless. That I guess, was another thing that was very common, I guess it still is, in action movies, was for the action hero to have to, to run around shirtless.
0: It wouldn't make any sense it's the middle of the day. Why would he be shirtless? Yeah,
1: I mean, another reason, I guess, they came to the apartment was to change. So that's, that'd be a good excuse if it was interrupted rudely okay. to get Will Smith shirtless. Yeah. And so, but he, yeah, he basically all he gave was like, I'll do it with the shirt unbuttoned
0: Because it doesn't make any sense. I guess. Like, yeah. it's just
1: weird. I guess he also didn't want to be objectified, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Did, did this give you a point break vibes? I thought about point break. During this scene, they tried to do like what Point Break did, except they didn't pull it off nearly as well.
0: I thought it was still pretty good. It's of course not Point Break level, but like there's a lot of fun little scenes of everyday life they run through. They they run through like a modeling shoot. They they interrupt you know, the Paralympic thing. Yeah, Paralympic. They run through a salon with a bunch of old ladies getting their hair did.
1: Yeah. I think the reason why it didn't work for me is because there wasn't that good continuity from shot to shot.
0: And there wasn't a dog being punted.
1: Yeah, there weren't any dogs being punted. There were no president masks. There wasn't any fire either in this, surprisingly. Uh Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It just, Point Break really did it for me with, with that chase scene. And while this was akin to that, here's why I fell flat. We get the baddies whisking away Julie running through all these places. Will Smith is also running behind. And then for a good two-thirds of the action scene, it's Will Smith running, and the camera's facing directly in front of him. And it's just him running with his shirt open. And a lot of it's in slow motion. It's just back and forth of that. It was too obvious what they were trying to do. And it it took me out of the action. They built it up to have to be him running shirtless, but it wasn't necessary for him to be running shirtless. There's more shots of him running than anybody else. Even though Marcus... He had to also be running because he catches up to them somehow. The baddies, like, they commandeer a taxi cab. This is after the chase has been going on for, for a couple of minutes.
0: Marcus did come out of nowhere. Marcus comes out of nowhere,
1: yeah. and he jumps on the taxi cab. They drive off with him on it. So Marcus had to be at pace with the whole uh-huh. chase scene. We never see him running, though. We only see Will Smith running. Yeah. It was just kind of out of left field, him, him randomly coming out of nowhere, jumping on the taxi. They drive off with him on top of it, and they break and he gets thrown out in front of it. And then they're about to run him over and all of Will Smith's slow motion running comes to fruition and he's able to like tackle him out of the
0: way in the nick of time. Yeah, that's a good point. They never did show Marcus running. And that's part of why I, I just, it just didn't work for me. Huh. Maybe I need to watch it again to, to do a double check, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that chase scene. But it, it, that's, that's a well-backed-up point for why I didn't like it. It's fair.
1: So they've gotten away with Julie. They take her. They're going to, I guess, keep
0: her hostage until they can finish their drug deal. Back at the precinct... Marcus and Mike are trying to get more information about ex-cop fuckboy guy from the beginning. So they're talking to computer inmate whiz, NBA legend John Sally. He's got like coke can glasses in an orange jumpsuit. And he's like, I guess they need a computer whiz to pull up this file information.
1: Yeah, the one they couldn't get into earlier. Yeah. Um, The secretary couldn't get into because she tried like three times and couldn't get into it.
0: John Sally is able to find out some information that, I guess, like he dated Marilyn Monroe at the police precinct.
1: Yeah. He he gets into the file, and the girlfriend was the secretary, and, oh, big twist.
0: So they go talk to the secretary, and she's like, I maybe gave them some info that they used to make narcotics with, and everyone's like, oh, shit. It felt like it was the big twist. This was like the culmination of like their police work, sort of.
1: But it wasn't even. I know. They, They figured out the mole. Early on, how it was an inside job, but they couldn't get into his file for some reason because it was encrypted, which doesn't make any sense. Like That's data on their system. They should be able to access it, whether or not he's still working there. Hmm. It was just like, well, we need the plot to move forward again, so let's have this here waiting for us for this point where we knew the plot couldn't move forward without it. And so they get the file open. Yeah, they figure out the thing about the secretary, but what they really figure out is the dude's cell phone number, which I guess they also didn't have... And so they call the cell phone, and that's how they're able to, like... Track him. Well, That's the other thing, because this guy was killed by Leatherface
0: earlier in the movie. So why is another bad guy's phone number on his file? Who knows? W- well,
1: that... And why does why does uh, Tier 2 henchman still have that other guy's cell phone? Yeah, I don't
0: know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But they sure do get the GPS on him. It was like some sort of uh, Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan-esque Very much so. scene where they're kind of like... Honing in on the phone signal, so, you know, they track that they are headed or arrive is an airplane hangar with all sorts of different airplanes and cars and everything. They're loading up all their swag and contraband into a plane.
1: There's a white-suited drug lord with his Shelby Cobra that he has brought to the hangar. I guess the situation is that Leatherface has found a buyer. The buyer is this swanky white-suited drug lord.
0: You can see like Pablo Escobar type.
1: Yeah, I guess he's just about to leave the country right now because he's got his custom sports car that he's loading into a plane in this hangar. It seemed a little bit rushed.
0: All this information has come out of nowhere. Like this guy didn't show up until just now. Right. So it kind of left it feeling a little like hectic. I guess, which kind of is effective in that sense. Like all this new shit's happening and they're just rushing. This last 20 minutes of the movie felt
1: super rushed to me. Like they get to the hangar and they're like, there's no time. There's no good approach. Let's commandeer this airport trash truck and crash it through the wall.
0: I think maybe it was me being generous saying work to an effect. I don't think it was intentional to try. I think it had an effect. (laughs) I don't know if it worked to an effect. (laughs) They're
1: like, there's no good entry. And then Will Smith's looking into the distance and we see the trash truck coming. The next thing we know, they're getting into the trash truck and the other cops there are like, This is dumb. <laughs> this isn't gonna work. And Will Smith's
0: like Must it always work sometime. They crash in. It's pure pandemonium. Absolute pandemonium. The first big thing that happens after pandemonium starts is Julie she was handcuffed to the steering wheel and this truck happens to be pointed directly at kind of a neatly stacked barrel of e- barrels of ether. Yes. Once and again. So she just drives headfirst into it before tucking and rolling out of the car. Of course, ma- massive Michael Bay explosion. Massive. <laughs> and was, at, from this point on, it was on, freaking huge. Everything is on fire. The, everything. Every scene from here on out in this fight, all the chaos, everything is on fire. I'm, I feel like in some of the scenes, like shot to shots,
1: there was just fire around the edges of the screen, even. Like there wasn't any reason for fire to be there, so there's
0: just a little tickling up from the bottom. I saw it a couple times, just random bits of like detritus on fire. Yeah.
1: We also have like jump suited tier three henchmen standing up on like rafters, firing hip firing submachine guns <laughs> at nothing. It has all of the action movie tropes from the nineties, but just kind of all smooshed together in very quick succession. You know what they didn't do though? They didn't give them a roof. They didn't get on the roof. You're right. That's the one missing That's really where this movie fell flat for me. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> there was no roof scene.
0: No hangar roof scene. Yeah. I don't think the
1: hangar had a roof. It was like an old busted hangar.
0: So it was just open air? Yeah.
1: It, it oh. was like the skeleton of a hangar.
0: Poor set design, really. No roof?
1: Yeah, no roof. I guess it's a less occupied area of this airfield. There's a fat henchman who gets shot into like a high voltage panel, which is kind of fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was fun. It was the like Italian-looking guy. He it was
1: the guy who kept on like saying nonsense to Julia when she was locked in the car. That's right.
0: Scratch okay. whatever you want me to, you blue-eyed bitch. Did you go to college?
1: Yeah. Like as soon as the trash truck breaks through, Leatherface shoots the drug lord because he he's like it's a setup. Even though you just handed me twenty million dollars, like it just yeah. Everyone's getting shot. Leatherface tries to shoot Julie after she jumps out of the the Bronco Marcus like saves her just in the nick of time He gets shot in the leg and then Leatherface goes for the sports car That's now on the plane and he like drives it out of it and Mike Lowry jumps on the back of it And then they drive off into the airfield Leatherface shoots Mike in the bulletproof vest off of the thing like right before he gets out of the hangar and then Marcus shows up with the Porsche out of nowhere like it, it couldn't have been more than 10 or 15 seconds since this all started going down and yet here's marcus with the porsche
0: which where did the Porsche come from was that the same porsche that they got carjacked yeah it's it's mike's car
1: it was mike's car it's mike's
0: car yeah where did that i don't know they never showed them drive the car to the airport to the airfield even if they did though they had to park always away because they had yeah. to get out get in the trash truck fucking kool-aid man through the side and then yeah. he ran back they, to he had to run at least 100
1: yards get in the car and drive back all in the span of like 15 to 30 seconds. Oh, man,
0: You know why he could do that? Why? Because he's a bad boy. That's right, Zach. <laughs> he sure is. Bad boy with some bad toys. <laughs> Where did a muscly Leatherface Woody Harrelson even get a car from? Did, they, did we see him drive out? It was a drug lord's car. Okay. In the so beginning of that Labo scene. They both drove out before the hangar exploded. In a very Michael Bay fashion. Yes. Okay.
1: Don't forget that the ether barrels are burning this whole time.
0: Everything was still on fire that whole scene.
1: Yeah, everything was on fire the whole time. And then they drive out in the Porsche after Leatherface in the Cobra just as the whole shit explodes, Michael Bay style. You know something fun, though, about all this? Or if- Can it get any more fun
0: in this, Mitch? Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Michael Bay paid the studio for this last scene. They didn't want to do it. Oh, really? He paid for it out of his own pocket. It was like twenty-five grand. Which I think. scene in particular? This whole last action scene. The whole hangar scene like starting with the truck and everything? Yeah. Wow.
0: That's only 25 grand?
1: I guess in 95. Holy shit. Wonder how much that would be in today's money. 45,500.
0: That's still About absurdly 50. cheap for all that explosion and people's time and everything, like
1: paying all those actors, all the explosions, the vehicles that they destroy, whatever
0: editings uh studio they used or whatever $45,000? Yeah. Makes
1: me wonder if he paid for the whole thing or if he was like I'll contribute.
0: It's gotta just be contribution. Yeah. Because like imagine Martin Lawrence's like hourly rate.
1: Sure. And Will Smith. I mean he wasn't as A-list then but Yeah.
0: Sorry to rain on your parade about Oh you're that totally fact. fine.
1: It was, it was I just thought it was interesting like I think that justifies the reason why there's so many ether barrels is because Michael Bay literally paid for them. <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> Marcus is driving. They, they pick up Will Smith who's been shot, but not fatally, just in the chest, in this vest, so he's out of breath. And Marcus is driving. He's been shot in the leg. And Will Smith's going on about, how, oh, your driving's way better now that your leg's shot. And they catch up to Leatherface. There's a, little, there's a huge concrete wall in front of him with a little gap in the middle, just big enough for one car. They edge him out. They get through. He crashes into the wall. You know, they, they get out all triumphant. They shoot Leatherface because he's trying to get away. He, like, gets out and he's running away. Will Smith shoots him in the leg. And then they come over and Will Smith is doing the whole, like, I should fucking shoot you because you killed my friend Max. Marcus talks him down. And right as they turn around, Leatherface pulls out a, a secret pocket gun and almost shoots one of them. And, this pocket gun
0: had four barrels. Yeah, pretty cool, right? Like four barrels at the tip. That's a real gun. Huh. I don't know what it is. It looks like some kind of, like, James Bond villain gun. It totally does.
1: They got one thing right about Leatherface and that was giving him this little pocket pistol. He's about to shoot Marcus in the back and Mike Lowry sees the glint of the
0: gun on Marcus's face and then turns and just cold-blooded like puts like ten. I wondered how he knew. I thought Marcus maybe gave some sort of like subtle nonverbal cue like watch out.
1: Now they did this slow motion thing where he like pulls the gun up like three times. <laughs> you know in different, from, camera like, angles. different camera angles and then they show the glint of metal on marcus's face and that's when like mike's spidey senses go off and he does the the quick draw so they they put a nice bow on it at the very end with marcus handcuffing lowry and Ju- julie together saying you want mike lowry you got mike lowry and he like limps off saying he's gonna go get some of his quality time which he ain't getting that quality time let's be real
0: yeah, because as Mike rightly pointed out, he got shot in the leg. He can't feel his dick. <laughs> That's <laughs> how that works, I'm sure of it. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to have quality time. My man. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. My man, you let me out of here? I don't got the keys. What do you mean you don't have no keys? Why wouldn't you have keys? you gonna Mark. I thought you said you loved it. Show me love. So, Zach. Yes, Mitch. I can feel the question burning into my eyes from your eyes. Did you like this movie? Bad Boys. I feel like my answer will be controversial. That's why we're here. But I did like this movie. All right. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. Like, yes, there were obviously some flaws with the plot and with just kind of story progression and motivations and Generally, any Michael Bay movie, there's just it's a little bit vacuous from like a greater theme perspective. But I thought it was fun. I mean, it's kind of a '90s legend for a reason. It's a fun movie. It's a good kind of buddy cop bro ish e movie. I would say more like bickering uh, married couple than bro. But yeah, but you could tell through it they were like really really close. Yeah, and they
1: told each other they loved each other several times. That's true. Will Smith didn't want to say that he loved Marcus. It was like a big point of contention between him and Michael Bay. There was like an hour and a half they argued about it. Oh, really? First, they shot it without him doing it. And then ultimately, Will Smith agreed to say it. He said that he didn't think his character would say it. That's not what my character would do.
0: But yeah, I mean, like I know you and I disagree on this part, but I thought Martin Lawrence was overall funny. And this is another discussion, but like, can you forgive a 90s movie for... Being a nineties movie. <laughs> Transgressions against like women and gay people because it's a product of his time, maybe. But like that was minor. There weren't there weren't too many of those. But overall, I thought Martin Lawrence was really funny. They had really good chemistry. Will Smith was awesome. The action scenes were dialed back a little bit from normal Michael Bay level, I feel like. And I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed like the kind of back and forth of like. It's a little bit funny, but then it's like serious. I really want to go into it more, but I'm really, I'm so curious to hear what you have to say. I really do not know if you like this movie or not. I need to know. Do you like this movie?
1: I wanted to like it. Oh,
0: no. <laughs>
1: I really, I wanted to like it because I've heard about it. I knew what it was before going into, I knew it was like a, a buddy cop movie with, with these two who I, I like both of them independently. I love Will Smith and most of the stuff that he's done. Martin Lawrence, I've seen in some things and he's been hilarious. Maybe it was the fact that I think this movie did a lot better in 1995. I think that if I'd watched it in 1995, I would have loved it. I think it is a product of its time and that it did well in its time. I did not like it watching it in 2021. It was just that it was kind of a bad movie. And I I mean that like in the best way. Like It tried pretty hard, but it had weak plot points throughout to keep it moving. They kept solving problems that they'd create for itself with solutions that they came up with what seemed like out of thin air. Like, over and over and over again, they would do that. Like, with the whole deal with the file and the secretary and the inmate hacking the thing and them tailing the chemist to the boat so that the baddies could see them and then in turn tail them and keep the plot progressing. Like, it's like they, they came up with, we need to have this scene happen. How do we have this scene happen? Like, we need to have this scene happen where they all, the showdown of the lobby of Mike's place. How, how do we have that happen? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe if they tail him back. You know, I just feel like they, they really, they tripped over themselves to make it work. The bickering between the two main characters for me, while I see that it was probably funny to a lot of people, I found it kind of tiring because they did a lot more of the bickering than they did of actual, like, showing their bond. There wasn't enough balance there between seeing the really good relationship they have and just seeing them, like, fussing at each other constantly. And I do admit, sadly, that Martin Lawrence's, like, plucky comic relief fell pretty flat for me most of the time. Overall, I feel like the movie tried to do two things being funny and being action packed. And it didn't do a great job of either. The action, while it was, I guess you could technically call it action packed, the action was poorly executed. Between the shots, the poor transitions, and the fact that it was almost like information overload, like the pacing was off. Mm. I don't know why, but it just kept taking me out of it. But it was just kind of generic. It was action movie diarrhea, Zach, is what it was. <laughs>
0: It's action movie diarrhea, and Michael Bay is the ex-lax and milk of magnesia that gives it diarrhea. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I really wanted to like it, but I just didn't. It took every
1: opportunity to be a movie that it could. Does that make sense? Like bought into every trope, into every cliche. It's generic.
0: It's cookie cutter.
1: The only cliche that they did not buy into that I'm glad they didn't is that Julie and Mike didn't hook up at the end. I was thinking from the first scene, whenever they met, that they were totally going to end up together in the end. And they didn't. And I'm glad they didn't. I would have hated the movie if that was the case. (laughs) Sorry to say it, Zach. I uh, was not a fan.
0: No, I, I should have mentioned in my review, I absolutely recognize that almost objectively, from a critical standpoint, this is a bad movie. I recognize that from the start. It's a little campy. But something about the blend of like life swap that they do, where Marcus has to be single and Mike has to be like the family man. And then the action, while it's not great, it's serviceable. And the comedy that I thought was also serviceable, good at times, even perhaps. It did have its good moments. Don't get me wrong. And I felt like the chemistry between them was pretty, also serviceable. Like nothing about this movie stands out to me as being wow. I'm gonna come back for the insert thing here.
1: Bad Boys Two.
0: <laughs> um, well, I came back from Bad Boy. Bad Boy with Will Smith. Oh yes. Something about it all together was like just classic fun '90s action that I recognize as bad and. Not critically good, but it's just, it feels fun and it feels good. That's what I wanted. I really
1: wanted that, but I don't know if it was the mindset going into it or if it just was a little too stupid or what, but I just could not, I just couldn't get it. Mm. It just, ugh. I'm Now I'm frustrated because you liked it and I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> there's still some good scenes. There's still some good chemistry. There's still There's still good comedy and good action in it. Mm. But overall, I just... It didn't do it for me. I'd give it like a 5 out of 10.
0: Wow. I'd give it a... Um... These are very personal scales, right? Absolutely. Like, you're not like critically reviewing... I'm not a fucking movie critic. <laughs> okay. Zach's personal rating. I'd probably give it like a, a 7 out of 10. That's high praise. That's pretty good. Maybe 6.8. This movie is, um, really leans into its bad boy lead characters, but did you find yourself a true hero, Mitchell?
1: I sure did. I think I know who yours is, but I don't think you know who mine is.
0: Mine is so bad that you won't guess who mine is. Really? Yes. Okay. My true hero is... Can I guess who yours is? Yeah, you can guess. Your true hero is the captain, the police captain. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice try, Zach. My true hero is Marcus's wife. Oh. Unexpected. It's because she did something that this movie needed more than anything, and from very early in the runtime. She put an end to the lie.
0: Oh, okay. The, the
1: thing that I dislike the most about this movie over anything else, and probably the reason why my entire perception of it is colored in the way that it is, is the fact that from very early on, they just kept building on a lie, and they kept perpetuating it instead of just coming clean and making it easier for everyone. I get that that's part of the like you know setup for the comedy, but she put an end to the lie. She shows up to Lowry's place, and she's like, uh-uh. Get over here. Like, she snaps her fingers. You know, she she's not playing any games. Yeah. And the truth comes out here, and it's it's clear who's who. That's why she's the true hero for me is because she got us
0: over that plot hump. It also, that precipitated, like, one of the funniest scenes in the movie. It did. And th- that's Which, real heroic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> who was yours, Zach? I actually just switched mine. Did you? On the fly.
1: I think I know whose it, who's it is.
0: You want to try and guess mine?
1: Yeah, I think yours was the uh, NBA Hacker.
0: Damn it. <laughs> I just switched it to him. <laughs> Got him. I just, like, as I was asking you who your true hero was, I literally switched.
1: I figured that'd be the one you chose. Who do you
0: think my initial true hero was?
1: I have no idea. Tire guy?
0: No. My initial true hero, probably breaking the rules of, because I'm kind That's of Let's hear what of people, your initial one is and hear your, my real, your nomination. My initial was, like, the concierge at Mike's apartment. Okay. Because he was like actually playing along with Marcus of like... I'll play cop. And he really got literally strong-armed into agreeing to what Marcus said. At this point in the movie we're talking about, Marcus came to leave the material witness behind, but was like, don't let Mike in. And the concierge was like, but this is Mike's apartment. <laughs> right. And he like put money into his hand and like twisted his arm, literally. And the guy was like, okay, I'll also call you when he comes. And I was going to give him the true hero for that. But... The spirit of the true hero is a lesser known character that does something funny or literally something very heroic who's somewhat of a minor character. Or just moves the plot forward. Or moves the plot forward. And my God, is there a bigger plot to minor character ratio than NBA legend John Sally in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you can argue that there is. I did love his part. It was short and very, very sweet. I mean, he was on screen for all of 20 seconds. And broke the case for them. All while like his feet were chained, maybe.
1: He definitely had handcuffs on. He was in like, the prison jumpsuit.
0: Yeah, with the giant glasses. And I think uh, at one point, Marcus or Mike Marcus. said something to him. Like something kind of demeaning. And he stood up and his height is immense
1: he's like three heads taller than marcus yeah. at least
0: and the the camera angle at this point it's like it was marcus you look like directly down at marcus and he's just like craning his neck looking directly up at the camera and you can see his like what have i done <laughs> to yeah. anger this man
1: <laughs> it's a good choice
0: he truly fit the true hero mold for me without all the comedy, I think, we intended with the initial definition.
1: Well, it's hard to find that sometimes. I know it is, yeah. If only there were more psychopaths driving Buicks in the left lane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that really, that, that scene from the Patriot Games was the sole inspiration for True Hero. And that was like the pinnacle of True Hero. It really was. I don't know if we'll we ever chasing it. that high again. I know. Finding that True Hero. It was swift and immediate satisfaction when we saw that happen.
1: True True Heroes are like heroin, Zach.
0: Should we make a a tier list for uh, True Heroes, too? Maybe. He's S-tier. That that Buick in the left lane is fucking S-S-tier. That
1: is S-S-tier True Hero.
0: Boy, that was a fun segment.
1: Yeah, I I always enjoy True Hero, man. (laughs) Well, our next segment. As our title states, we compare nostalgic movies to cuisine. Zach. Did
0: you manage to come up with a food, a dish, if you will, that embodies this movie? I managed, but I cannot claim that I am proud (laughs) of my selection. I am so sorry, Mitch. (laughs) I am so sorry, viewers, for my selection. Did you choose fucking spaghetti? (laughs) No. (laughs) I did not. I actually didn't even consider that a possibility. Maybe I should have chosen that. I feel like
1: if if you blank, just choose spaghetti, man.
0: I, I mean, this kind of makes some sense to me, but I really want to provide our listeners with a fun, diverse set of dish comparisons that expands their cooking knowledge. Certainly. And yet every episode, here we are like, this is spaghetti. <laughs> this movie is spaghetti. <laughs> And it's just like this movie's called the dish. And we're this movie's like,
1: durian pizza, a thing you can't buy. Yeah, right.
0: This movie is spaghetti, and oh, it's this is Asian spaghetti, ramen. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like we're just not giving our viewers very good dishes here. Oh my god! So
1: I never even thought about the podcast as like a uh, a way to educate people about dishes, but I guess it could do. that. I
0: mean, I don't think that anybody could be mad at us because we self-proclaim we don't know food culture. I think we should make an attempt, but we've done a very poor job at... That has not been our focus,
1: certainly. (laughs) I know.
0: So I have arguably another form of spaghetti to compare this movie to. (laughs) What sort of noodle? (laughs) This movie... I'm so sorry, everyone. My deepest condolences. This movie is chicken noodle soup with many saltines. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> tell me why. Not just one or two, but many saltines. Like more than you need? I'm not saying you have like an excess. Are
1: you saying saltines in the quantity equivalent to ether barrels?
0: Maybe, maybe saltines in the quantity equivalent to ether barrels in the final action scene. Okay, it's a lot of ether barrels.
1: Can you cover the surface area of the bowl of soup with saltines?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking like if you're at a uh, restaurant and they hand you like one of those little packs of four of saltine, if you're like, give me like 10 more. Wow. Yeah, that level of saltines. The level that you're like, what
1: the fuck is wrong with this guy? If you're the waiter.
0: Yeah, I actually enjoy saltines. I don't know if I'm... I, I do as Crazy well. in that. Um, also, fun fact, years ago in college, I beat the saltine challenge. Do you remember that thing?
1: Are you talking about the saltine challenge where like when you're really high with friends? you? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but what is this? <laughs> okay, so this is a saltine challenge that I made up being a pothead in college where... <laughs>
0: You thought I'd like played the game you created?
1: I, I thought we that... We hadn't known each other at this point? I thought that my game was uh, so good that it had transcended the people <laughs> that I knew. When you're really stoned and you're in like the thick of it and you're super dry-mouthed, you give your friend who's with you a single saltine cracker. And them being high and willing to experience anything pretty much will eat the saltine cracker. The problem is the very little saliva you still have in your mouth will be absorbed by the saltine cracker almost instantly when you crunch into it and then you all you can do is like inhale and then you inhale some crumbs because they're not tied down by your saliva and you cough and it's just a, it's a whole thing where you end up rushing for the sink it's uh it's a fun time if you ever find yourself stoned with somebody hand them a saltine cracker it's it's pretty funny but what is the actual
0: saltine challenge this was like I guess what you could call a viral thing in like 2008. I think viral was a word then, but... Early viral. You you have to eat and swallow, I think it was seven, maybe it was eight, some number of saltines within 30 seconds.
1: Without any water or anything?
0: Right, without, without consuming liquid of any kind. For much the same reason you mentioned, like <laughs> it immediately wicks all the saliva out of yeah. your mouth and your mouth is suddenly a desert <laughs> after eating seven or eight of these things. Yeah. I had my buddy Ryan time me. This is when he was my roommate in my in my dorm, and for whatever reason, I was like, "Bro, check us out. I'm gonna try it." <laughs> he had saltines in his little uh, closet. He had like one sleeve. I was like, "Yo, yeah, let me try this challenge. Let me eat like half of your sleeve <laughs> saltines." <laughs> and he timed me, and I ate like all seven or eight in like 28 seconds or something.
1: Nice, dude. I feel like only you would have the um, the fortitude to do something like that. This is. I know Zach is a person who has a very strong stomach after he had his surgery myself and several other friends brought him food since he wasn't able to like get up and cook and stuff which i am extraordinarily
0: grateful for dude
1: absolutely our friend matt brought you some lasagna i believe Mm -hmm. and i remember like a month later you sent me a picture of lasagna and you were like you're gonna hear the the last of this lasagna and i was like zach that's from like a month ago (laughs) and you're like yeah. So
0: <laughs> still delicious. Yeah, If anything, it was even more delicious. Oh my
1: God. <laughs> I showed my wife and she, it's kind of a running joke at our house now about how like we use your tolerance level as a metric for like stuff in our fridge, like jokingly. Like, oh, oh, really? oh man, this, <laughs> this beef stews from September. It's now what? December 15th. Ah, oh, Zach might want it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, is it like if Zach would need it, then like there's, it's a no go for sure for us. Or like, oh. if Zach would eat it, then maybe we could go for it.
1: No, 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 no. It's more of a joke. Like that means it's been in our fridge for way too long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Katie is very strict about food safety. It's like three days max for any meats that have like been opened or cooked. I've gotten up to five for certain ones, and no more than a week for anything. 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 Oh my god. Yeah.
0: I will never forget the story you mentioned about making bacon and that process involves like dirtying like six pairs of tongs. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes,
1: my wife is very neurotic about food safety in the kitchen. Anytime she deals with raw meat, I might as well fill the the sink with soapy water because she's going to use all the utensils.
0: I would not be able to watch that without pulling all my hair out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty funny. I find it kind of endearing, but... (laughs) Anyway, we've gotten way off topic. We have. Where were we? You would mention that your dish is chicken noodle Sal- soup, many saltines, many saltines yes. like
0: chicken noodle soup. To me, I've eaten plenty of times. I can't remember the last time I had it, but objectively, that food will not win any awards. Maybe it has, I don't know, but I don't think it would win any awards. It's there's nothing that's really that stands out about it. It's more or less like a sick food. Like it's like a stereotypical, you eat this when you don't feel good.
1: I was wondering if that's where you were going with this.
0: But it's kind of also like you eat it and you just feel a little wholesome. It feels good. You're like, it's not great, but like it's chicken noodle soup. How can I not like it? Yeah, chicken noodle soup's like the food of nostalgia too. Yeah. Saltines add a little bit of wholesomeness, but there's just not depth to it. It's just cardboard cracker with salt for a little bit of extra, extra added like flavor. Everyone, again, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but I couldn't think of anything else that fit bad boys. It's good, but it's good to me. Like it's fun, but it's also just, it lacks depth. It lacks a compelling story. It lacks any deeper flavor or meaning or theme that you have to kind of chew on after you watch it. The movie turns off and you go, oh, well, that was fun. And you don't think about it again. That's kind of like chicken noodle soup. You eat it, and you're like, "Eh, it's not bad. It's chicken noodle soup. It's always kind of good. And then it's very forgettable. Sustenance. Yeah, it's sustenance. It's palatable. That's why it's sick food. It's fairly agreeable. Bad Boys isn't necessarily very agreeable. But (laughs) from a flavor profile and complexity standpoint, it's fairly thin, and that matches up with Bad Boys. It's agreeable, but thin, and there's not much to it. All right. But still good overall.
1: All right. I, I'll take it. I think. I think that's for being so apologetic about your dish. It's a pretty good one. I think. I. I like it. I like it a lot.
0: Well, let me hear your dish, Mitch. I feel like you have a home run just ready to fucking. You're uh, ready to crack. And this you thing think out I'm apart. always
1: ready to crack some home runs with dishes? I don't know. You may not like mine as much as I don't like what it is. For me, Bad Boys is gas station sushi. <laughs> <laughs> is that even a thing? It is. That should be illegal. I agree. <laughs> but no, it, it totally is. At first I was thinking like a shitty all-you-can-eat buffet. That was my first. But I was like, it's, is it like bad sushi? And I was like, no, it's like gas station sushi. <laughs> it's a hollow interpretation of sushi in the same way for me that this is like a kind of hollow interpretation of like an A-list, knocked-out-of-the-park action movie. It tries to be an action movie and it tries to be a comedy and it doesn't do either very well. You eat sushi because you want sushi because you love fresh, delicious fish. You eat gas station sushi because you want sushi, but you make poor decisions. And then you end up regretting it, and you end up getting a lot of diarrhea. (laughs) In the same way that this movie has a big old action scene diarrhea at the end, you get that with gas station sushi as well. And it's a movie based on a bad premise. It's based on the lie. The majority of what it has to offer is all the interactions between the two characters with the situation they've gotten themselves in, that which is them swapping lives. And it's based on a bad premise, just like gas station sushi is based on the premise that someone would want to eat sushi that you buy at a gas station.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your premise is flawed. (laughs) Thinking someone would actually want this. People do. It wouldn't be there if people didn't buy it. Oh my God. I heard maybe 60% of your dish comparison. (laughs) I was just running through my head like, that gas station sushi exists. It is a thing. Oh my God. You know what? I bet it's not actual fish. I bet it's the imitation crab or whatever. Let's That's hope. That's gotta be. Let's you hope. You can't have actual raw because f- you need to have skills to do it or else you'd like poison your customers. Yeah, seriously. It's like uh, Clark Griswold said in National Lampoon. I'm so hungry, I could eat a sandwich from a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess if you're really craving that action movie, I, dude, I'm going to give you my, the medal for the dish this time. What? No, yeah, dude. I don't deserve it. Here's, here's why I think yours deserves it, is because this is a movie that I think, for a lot of people, is probably very nostalgic. You know, they think about Bad Boys and they think like, oh man, I saw it in theaters. It was so fucking great. But then when you come back to it, it's just a bad action movie in the same way that chicken noodle soup is a very nostalgic food. You were fed it as a kid. It was always great and it made you feel a lot better when you were sick and it made you feel like full and wholesome. And you probably got that similar sort of fulfillment out of Bad Boys when you saw it in 1995 in theaters. But you watch it again and you're just like, oh, this is not great. In the same way that you you get that like Campbell's chicken noodle concentrate, and you pour two cans of water in it and warm <laughs> it in the microwave, and you're like, oh, this
0: is just kind of like shitty and processed.
1: Yeah, dude, I think you I think you you got it this time. I'm giving it to you, Zach.
0: I will humbly and somewhat reluctantly accept your fake award, but thank you. I don't know why I called it a fake award. I will accept your accolade it's fake everything we do is fake it's all for a fake podcast points that
1: we're not getting <laughs> <laughs> well congratulations zach on that winning of the best dish of the pod award
0: with chicken noodle soup yes which you <laughs> were so so sorry about <laughs>
1: maybe that just says something about this episode well it's been a treat my friend you want to figure out what we're doing next time yeah let's do it
0: let's roll some dice what have we got left? How many movies have we not watched on that there movie list? There are 29 movies left. Wait, there are only 32 movies on this list. 28 movies 28 left. 28 movies. Okay. <laughs> Good luck editing. Thank you. <laughs> All
1: right, you ready? I'll roll it. Shall I blow? Yeah, blow on it. Oh, God, you that got spit on it and stuff. Oh, shit. I got one. Whoa. You want to guess who that is? Is it Hackers?
0: It's Hackers. Fucking Hackers. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you know? You just remember the list? I don't know. I guess. I remember Hackers being a very early one, so... Hackers right on. Awesome. All right. I, I literally know nothing about this movie other than that it's like... It barely knows the internet, but it's about hacking the internet. Yes. That's about all I know as well. <laughs> I I know zilch. Wait. We have to have Michael on, don't we?
1: Oh, shit. I think we do. That's, that's his one. That's the one that he wanted to come for. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well... That'll be our next movie, viewers, Hackers. Indeed it will. If you're a hacker, you could help us out by going on your podcast platform of choice and moving us to the top of the list when people search action movie.
0: In fact, you could move us to the top of the list when people search The Dish. (laughs) Or podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Not sure we'll ever get there.
1: Flex your hacking skills, if you will.
0: But yeah, we would love any kind of support, whether that's just a listen, a review, a follow on your podcast platform, or telling us about your friends. Telling us about your friends. <laughs> if you want to tell us about your friends, send us an email <laughs> at Dishing Through Decades. It's been a long pod.
1: <laughs> it, really though, if if you want to, if you have anything to say to us, if you enjoyed the pod or you didn't, if you have suggestions or feedback. Send us an email at dishingthroughdecades at gmail.com.
0: Yes, please. We're waiting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We'll be back, <laughs> but really, it would help out. We're we're a budding podcast. We're getting listens. We're getting a little bit of traction, and we're we're hoping for more. The biggest thing you can do is is tell your friends, share this fun time with the people in your life who you who you like, who you think you could subject to this. Or if it's the sort of thing
0: where you don't like them and you dislike the podcast, you could send it to them too. Every little bit of visibility for us is huge at this small stage. So please, like seriously, if. Uh, if you like us or don't, we'd love the feedback, know what we could do better. Or, you know, sharing is always always very much appreciated and helpful. So Sharing is caring, Zach. It's 2022, Mitch.
1: Sharing is still caring.
0: So, yeah, drop us a line, and uh, we will be back at you next time when we watch Hackers. Looking forward to it, my friend. Well, thanks for joining us on The Dish for Bad Boys. We will uh, hack at you later. Code you then? No. Pristock, Pristock, Pristock. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs>